This is a download from BFM 89.9, the business station. Good morning, you're listening to Pressing Matters, the show where we go behind the headlines and explore issues driving the press. I'm Shazana Mokhtar. Tensions are heightening in the city of Jerusalem, which is considered holy to all three of the Abrahamic faiths, Islam, Christianity and Judaism. A rare convergence of religious occasions over the weekend saw more worshippers than usual in the city, leading to confrontations between Palestinians and Israel's security forces in recent days. This is taking place amid a broader backdrop of escalating violence in Israel and Palestine, raising fears that a repeat of the events last year could occur. For a better understanding of the state of play in the Israeli-Palestine conflict, we speak to Dr. James Dorsey, Senior Fellow at the Middle East Institute of the National University of Singapore. James, good morning. Thanks very much for joining us today. Good morning. Pleasure to be with you. Now, there hasn't been a convergence of Ramadan, Easter and Passover since 1991. So the overlap of Holy Days this weekend was somewhat unusual. Could you walk us through what actually happened in Jerusalem? Well, what you have is, I think, something that would have happened, actually, whether or not uh, you had the confluence of the three holidays. So, with other words, Ramadan, Passover, and Easter. Uh, What happened is that you had uh, Palestinians on the Temple Mount or on the Haram al-Sharif, a lot of them young men, who were... uh, allegedly, and we don't, I mean, I, uh, who were allegedly in the mosque and allegedly preparing to uh, attack the attack police with stones. Mm-hmm. I think what you saw, and you had mass arrests, so you had heightened emotions because, it, which is very rare, the Israeli police entered the mosque. Mm. Uh, people were forced to lie on their stomach on the floor of the mosque with their hands on their backs. Uh, Some 400 were arrested. Um, But having said all of this, I think what you had was a situation which fundamentally nobody wanted an escalation Mm. as we had last year, where it led to an all-out war uh, between Israel and Hamas and other um, Islamist groups in the Gaza Strip. Uh, with severe consequences for the infrastructure of Gaza as well as for civilians. But I also do think that on both sides, you wanted uh, an incident. Mm. So this was a moment. And and again, I don't think it was about religion as much as it was about nationalism on both sides. So with other words, Palestinians uh, opposed to the occupation. And a group of Israelis who are ultra-nationalist. Hmm. Could we talk about what was happening, what's happening in broader Israel and Palestine in the run-up to um, the events in Jerusalem over the weekend? Because I think we have been seeing, um, I suppose, increased attacks in Israel by Palestinian protesters and vice versa. We've seen Israeli security forces uh, crack down on on whom they think these, hmm. these perpetrators are. Indeed. And and again, I think that goes to my point that this is much more about national rights than it is about religious rights. So for in the last several weeks, you've had a fair number of uh, essentially lone wolf attacks, individual Palestinians. And again, I think it's important here that these were Palestinians uh, from different segments 
So these were Palestinians who were Israeli citizens. These were Palestinians who came from the West Bank uh, and are not Israeli citizens and therefore are in a different situation. Mm. And in, in total, 14 Israelis were killed. Uh, and they were stabbed. These were, you know, individual attacks on the street mm. uh, or what have you. In, re in response, the uh, security forces have, uh, have uh, cracked down on alleged suspects, uh, have quilled, killed uh, at least 12 Palestinians. Um, a focal point of what happened was the West Bank town of Jenin, which has been a hotbed of uh, resistance to Israeli occupation for quite a long time. So that was the atmosphere in which uh, the build-up in which you got what happened in the last few days on uh, the Haram al-Sharif. Mm. And, and that's one reason why I'm saying this is less about religion and more about nationalism. Mm. I want to talk more about uh, the events that happened last year. But for now, for those of us who will, who will, who, it's difficult to visit Jerusalem. I think many of us may never make it there. But maybe you can give us a bit of a description in terms of who is actually in control of the city. I think that's something that I myself am a bit confused about. Is it seen as officially a part of the West Bank, which is under the Palestinian Authority, or is it under Israeli administration? Um, who, who actually monitors what happens inside that city? It's uh, it's not it's simple and it's complex at the same time. Mm -hmm. So, with other words, for all practical matters, Israel is governed by sorry, Jerusalem is governed by Israel. Period. Mm -hmm. There are no other forces, and Israel has total control of the city. That's the de facto situation. The de jure, the legal situation is that Israel has legally annexed Jerusalem, declared mm -hmm. it the capital of um, the state of Israel, and that, that annexation has been recognized by the United States. It hasn't been, been recognized by the, um, uh, the majority of the international community, which really, I think against all hopes, but nonetheless is hoping for a two-state solution in which East Jerusalem would be, Jerusalem would be a unified city, mm. but the East would be capital of Palestine, the West would be the capital of Israel, the East having been conquered by Israel during the 1967 Middle East War. Now, where it gets complex is that the administration of the um, Haram al-Sharif, or the Temple Mount, is... Uh, uh, basically under a Jordanian waqf, mm -hmm. Jordanian endowment. Uh, it controls the Muslim part of the, uh, or it administers the Muslim part of the, uh, of the um, Temple Mount, mm. which remains under Jewish uh, jurisdiction. Okay. How is access to um, the holy sites in Jerusalem enforced? So you've got the um, Temple Mount or the Al-Aqsa Mosque, as, as maybe many Muslims know of it. H how, who gets to enter this and how is that monitored or administered uh, as far as we know? That is, as a matter of principle, is uh, administered by the, by the Israelis. Mm. And you obviously have Israeli security forces who, uh, who are uh, tasked with ensuring security as well as law and order. In the uh, in the in the area, mm. um, 
uh, there clearly are, of course, discussions with the endowment in terms of, uh, for example, one of the uh, the ground rules is that in the area of the in the mosque and in the area of the mosque itself, only Muslims will be allowed to pray. Mm. Non-Muslims are allowed to visit, but not to pray. Mm. Um, and those are, of course, arrangements that are uh, that are made with the with the endowment. Um, and with the political authorities uh, on the West Bank. Uh, but the enforcement of that is exclusively Israeli. Hmm. I'm speaking to Dr. James Dorsey, Senior Fellow at the Middle East Institute of the National University of Singapore. We'll continue this conversation after some messages, including this one. The all-in-one Astro Experience is here to take on the future of entertainment. With over 140 channels, including apps, Netflix, Disney+, Plus, Hotstar, HBO Go, Astro Go, and TVB Anywhere, the all-in-one Platinum Pack has everything you need to satisfy your viewing experience for you and your family. Sign up for the Astro Platinum Pack today to enjoy 60 days free subscription. Visit astro.com.my or WhatsApp GetAstro to 0395433838. Terms and conditions apply. BFM 89.9. You're listening to Pressing Matters on the Morning Run. I'm Shazana Mokhtar and with me on the show is Dr. James Dorsey, Senior Fellow at the Middle East Institute of the National University of Singapore. We're discussing the events that took place in Jerusalem over the weekend and what this means for the Israeli-Palestine peace process. James, I want to bring our attention to what happened last year, because last year Jerusalem was also the center point of tensions after the eviction of Palestinian residents in the neighborhood of Sheikh Jarrah. Was this case ever satisfactorily resolved? Um, Sheikh Jarrah was not satisfactorily resolved, for sure. The evictions continued and likely will continue. Uh, and those families uh, have not been properly compensated in any form or fashion. And, of course, uh, the, w- the war ended, hostilities ended, but nothing was resolved. The conflict remains. And I think that as long as you have, do not have a resolution of the Palestinian conflict, the potential for hostilities, the potential for escalation, the potential for flare-ups is going to remain. Now, the evictions of last year sparked 11 days of fighting, as you mentioned, including airstrikes on the Gaza Strip, which is governed by Hamas. A ceasefire was called on May 21st. Um, I mean, would you say this ceasefire is at risk now? What are the chances of, of, I guess, conflict escalating even further than what it is at the moment, given these tensions that are currently brewing? I think the ceasefire is by definition at risk, irrespective of the, of the timing and the holidays. Uh, simply because you have a ceasefire. You don't have a political process after that. You don't have a prospect of a solution. Clearly, people feel that it's heightened when you have clashes in Jerusalem and draw the comparison because incidents in Jerusalem were partly what led to the uh, Israeli attack on on Gaza and the uh, rocket strikes by Hamas last year. I think that this time round, nobody wanted that kind of escalation. I think that groups on both sides wanted clashes, wanted incidents, but they did not want to see this. And I think even though you get these pictures of Israeli troops going into the mosque of uh, Palestinians lying on their stomachs on the floor, actually the, the Israelis were trying to be restrained. Hmm. And we're and we're trying as 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 strange as this may sound, mm. they too did not want another escalation of that kind. Mm. 
I want to talk about what you think this, um, these, these tensions, how it could impact um, the Israeli government. Because we did, Israel did see a change in leadership in June last year with Benjamin Netanyahu stepping down after 12 years in power and replaced by ultra-nationalist Naftali Bennett. Now, this government is only made possible through a coalition of eight parties from across Israel's uh, political spectrum, including a small Arab party. Do you think the events in Jerusalem could affect this coalition? I, I've seen reports that the the Arab party has, I don't know, they've, they've come out to say they're withdrawing from the coalition or no? What do we know about that development? Well, it's not just the, the fact that it is a broad-based coalition, coalition that is fragile. And it's not just that it is a Arab political party. It's an Islamist political party. Uh, and so this is quite remarkable. Obviously, what happens in Jerusalem puts as segments of the coalition, both the um, Palestinian party, Israeli-Palestinian party, as well as segments of the left, in a very difficult position. Um, this being a, this being a, a government that, as official policy is policy, is not seeking a fundamental solution to the Palestinian problem. Mm. They are seeking what they describe as shrinking the problem. Hmm. which means you try and, and uh, enhance the economic circumstances of the Palestinian population on the West Bank, uh, but you don't go for a political solution. And they've ruled out a Palestinian state as a political solution. So, uh, yes, uh, the, the, obviously, uh, the more, the more uh, clashes you get of this kind, the more fragile the... Um, the uh, coalition becomes and add to that one other factor which is these kind of clashes make it more difficult for those Arab states that have recognized the state of Israel not to raise the issue. Hmm. Before we head on to, I guess, looking at where the wind is blowing across the Middle East on this, I, I do want to know how different is the position of the Naftali Bennett government from Netanyahu's government when it comes to Palestine? So you mentioned earlier that the current government is looking to shrink the issue rather than to actually resolve it. But was this very different from what Netanyahu had in mind? I don't think that it's fundamentally different. I think what is, what is and that does make a difference, the tone is different. Uh, the willingness to, for example, to go head on head with the uh, U.S. administration in Washington on issues of settlements and other on issues of Iran, Israel's willingness to do so. Uh, this government's positions haven't fundamentally changed from those, of the, but they've taken the sort of the irritation, they've taken the noise out of it. Mm. And, and that does make a difference. Mm -hmm. So we have seen several Middle Eastern countries change their policy on Israel. We saw the UAE, Bahrain and Morocco attending a historical summit there not too long ago. I mean, how do you see the region reacting given the current tensions? Are we likely to see more countries maybe um, change their stance because of what's happening? Or what's your read of the situation? I don't think at this point it makes a difference. Hmm. With other words, uh, let's be let's be quite clear about this. Countries like the United Arab Emirates and Bahrain would never at war with Israel. 
you know, they never had a direct conflict with, with Israel. Mm -hmm. So the notion that they established diplomatic relations is not, in a sense neither here nor there. It's the expectation of a moral obligation that these states may or may not have towards the Palestinians that raises controversy about whether or not to establish diplomatic relations. Fact of the matter is, on the one hand, by establishing diplomatic relations, uh, countries like the United Arab Emirates and Bahrain have confirmed the Israeli assertion that the Palestinian issue is not the core conflict in the Middle East, and therefore it doesn't really matter whether or not you resolve it immediately. It doesn't really matter in terms of Israeli-Arab relations. On the other hand, you can argue that Israel has existed for more than 70 years and refusal to recognize it hasn't led anywhere either. So why are you, as an Arab state, uh, not uh, taking advantage of benefits that that relationship may have, given that not having that relationship has no consequence except for you as an Arab state? Now, having said all of that, obviously, the longer you get clashes like this and and television uh, in, in Jerusalem and television pictures like we've had over the last several days, the more difficult it becomes for Arab states with diplomatic relations with Israel uh, not to speak out. Hmm. James, do you think that more diplomatic relations with Israel within the Arab states, would that actually help the peace process that has been, I guess, stalled when they weren't? in relations with Israel, if this question makes sense? Uh, it makes sense. I think the, the answer is in the short term, no. In the longer term, potentially. Hmm. So with other words, there is um, not only do Israel and various Arab states now have diplomatic relations, uh, there's a very close security cooperation. And for example, with Egypt, uh, the uh, establishment of diplomatic relations by various states, UAE, Bahrain, Sudan, Morocco, has made it easier for Egypt, which has had diplomatic relations with Israel, cold diplomatic relations for uh, for several decades. Uh, I think the closer that kind of cooperation uh, you get, the more difficult or the more sensitive the Israelis will have to be to the sensitivities of their partners. And that could lead to some sort of uh, uh, greater focus on the Palestinian issue mm. rather than the attempt to, uh, to sideline it. James, thank you very much for speaking with me today. We've just scratched the surface of the issue and no doubt we'll have many more follow-up conversations with you as things develop. I've been speaking to Dr. James Dorsey, Senior Fellow at the Middle East Institute of the National University of Singapore. This has been Pressing Matters on the Morning Run. Coming up next, we have the 10 a.m. News Bulletin and then after that, it's over to the Enterprise team. Stay tuned, BFM 89.9. Thank you for listening to this podcast. To find more great interviews, go to bfm.my or find us on iTunes. BFM 89.9, The Business Station.